What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Well, welcome to episode three of the Livingston Experience, and I'm joined once again this week by Darren Hill, my co-host. And Darren, it's a sunny afternoon there in Sydney. I know you've spent the day at the beach and you've just cracked your first beer for the weekend. Uh, how are you feeling this fine afternoon? Hard life, Daz. Hard life, yeah. Um, no, it's it, counting my blessings, mate. You know the accent. You know I'm from America. They're doing it bloody tough. And here we are, hanging at the beach, drinking cold beer, watching uh, NBA games unfettered with no blackout laws. Like, mate, we got it pretty good. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, you have to keep reminding yourself when we're looking at the NBA. This is a season that's played against the backdrop of the pandemic, which is much more out of control, obviously, in America. Further civil unrest, you know, all, all the sort of mm. political goings on. And, and I think that is contributing to the very uneven season that we're seeing where there's been a lot mm. of blowouts, uh, a lot of games even today where there's just not, not full lineups in place. But if you're like us, Daz, and you know where to look, you'll always find the positivity, I guess, and, and find something to, to love about this game. Oh, I'm finding it almost increasingly easier. Maybe there's, maybe it's just my desire to be countercultural, Daz, or... Um, maybe it's my inherent Bucks fandom or, you know, constantly being an underdog or never winning anything, you know, sort of, maybe it's built in, but it's almost like the more people moan and have a malaise, I'm, I'm sort of, maybe there's the, the treasures and the moments are actually a little bit more, you know, a little bit sweeter. So there's plenty and there's plenty, there's not a lot of great basketball, but there's still plenty of, of really, really really great games and yeah it reminds me, I don't know about you Des, but it just kind of constantly reminds you that when the ball goes up in the air right the opening tip there is still going to be a cadre of men um you know very young men who are going to be fucking balls out and wanting to win that night right or do something or prove their coach wrong or take the opportunity you know um to kind of shine or like today we saw you probably painfully saw from the spurs perspective you know a ragtag bunch of, you know, Houston Rockets, you know, in the aftermath of that cataclysmic event, you know, come out and play. It sounds like I played with a lot of energy and heart, you know, to win a game and it, clearly where they were overmatched. And so I go, if you can't find joy in the, in the competition and the, you know, the journey through this stuff and take a moment to empathize with just how fucking hard this must be for them to be in America, surrounded by the chaos, traveling, all these ridiculous protocols. And I don't say ridiculous in terms of meaning they're unnecessary, but oppressive, kind of oppressive. That might be a strong word, but they're cumbersome at best. Yeah. Mm. And so the toll that this stuff must take on these guys, we cannot understate it. You just can't understate and un underestimate it. And that for me is, and I really apologize for the immediate soapbox. I didn't plan it, but you know, but so much, to, I don't know if you catch this, but there's just, there's just no conversation about this in NBA Twitterati, NBA Literati. It's it's an examination of the NBA protocols, analysis of the protocols, and then we move on. Mm. And these kind of platitudinal, oh, guys, you know, are dealing with a lot of stuff and the results are uneven, but let's get into how, how and why Sabonis and the high pick and roll is really good, right? It's just a, it's a cursory nod towards it. I find it actually quite disappointing since 95% of 
you know, the brains in the league and who talk about the league and people that you and I would value still don't really tap into the day to day, the, 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 the life that this must be like. And so um, anyway, sorry for the, the soapbox early on, but that's why I go in that, in that context, it's almost more enjoyable when you see our Levingston moments kind of shine through or a Tyrese Halliburton, a rookie, uh, you know, over exceeding early expectations or a bunch of ragtag, you know, the five through 10 guys on the roster, you know, coming out and playing balls out. It's like, I don't know. It's almost a little bit better, a little bit richer. So, well, with the Houston game today, I mean, the- it's probably the first time I've ever walked away from the game and thought Boogie Cousins actually showed some leadership today. Like he was, he, he was really outstanding today for Houston Christian Wood had a fantastic game. He's been shooting 27% from three and went off today, five or seven from three, and really led them offensively. And even John Wall, who didn't play in the game, was on the sideline. Uh, he was taking the younger guys aside and sort of you know, coaching them a little bit here and there, along with PJ yeah. Tucker, who turns up every night. So it was as disappointing as it was to see the Spurs lose. Uh, it, it was refreshing to see a team just come in and, and, like you said, play balls out and just say, we, we are going to, you know, even if we don't walk away with the W today, we're going to give it our all and we're really going to show that we're together. And, and they played for 48 minutes and the Spurs played in, in sort of spurts across the game. Uh, and, you know, towards the end of the game in particular, the, the execution wasn't quite there for them. So Houston, a, a really good win today and a, and a nice moment uh, on their season. So Des, we're going to look at some of the Livingston moments and, and uh, from this week and the moments that had us off our catch and some of them are a bit more humorous than others uh, and, and some are you know a bit more significant I guess in the context of the NBA season then we're going to look at some news and obviously news around the James Harden trade uh, is the big news within the NBA and then we're going to look back on our marquee matchups from the week previous the games that were really interesting to us and maybe talk about some of the teams involved with them so looking first though at uh Looking first, though, at your Livingston moments from the week, what were, what were the, some of the moments that had you jumping off the ta- couch and waving the towel, Des? <laughs> the first one was, again, sorry, you're not going to like it. I, I purposely wanted to check in on the Spurs this week, right? So I saw them a couple times against the Wolves. And then I also, you know, I got a place in my heart for, um, you know, for Chris Paul, what he did in OKC and what Shea is taking forward. So I happened to catch, um, not all of it, but saw part of that uh, OKC San Antonio game. And and I, I love that I'm giggling thinking about it. But, um, you know, my my early Levinson moments was a Valanchunas show and go. I was like, what the hell? And, yeah, same thing, same play. It's um, two old dinosaurs, right? You've got no knees Aldridge against no knees, you know, um, Al Horford, right? Two you know, what, 70, 70, 70 years on this earth together. <laughs> so the equivalent of one very old man uh, on a basketball court. And um, it, it was a, so Horford caught the ball at the very top of the key, outside the three-point line. And, and rather than the Valanchuna slow motion show and go, this was like he just channeled his inner Russ Westbrook and beelined and almost you know, wrong-footed LMA who had no hope of staying in front of him and just rocketed Daz 
He like rocketed to the hoop and literally rim attacked, threw it down with authority, and it looked like, you know, twenty two year old Al Horford coming off a you know, um, you know, uh, a dive move, you know, back in off of a Jeff Teague sort of lob pass, circa you know two thousand and ten. It was just a glimmer, right? Old man, he's been ridiculed, he's paid too much. Now he's on a team that's going to be guaranteed in the lottery. And just let's just all just forget about Al Hor. Let's forget about him, right? He plays in Oklahoma, so therefore we don't talk about it. So that for me was Levingston moment. It was Big Al v. LMA and ending in an emphatic flush. So that was well, my moment, Dad. you had messaged me, I think, earlier in the week. We are talking about Aldridge's uh, trade value. And you said to me, <laughs> what's the defense look like today? <laughs> and I sort of said, it's not very good. good and point. then uh, straight away after that dunk, I think I, I sent you the best and said, average Al just dunked <laughs> right on his head. Yeah, so. like, oh, maybe he's not a buyout target for Budenholzer, you know. Maybe <laughs> look, he'd make uh, Robin Lopez look feet of foot. But yeah, so again, we're going to focus on the positive here, Daz. Big Al with a rim run. And he now has he now has more dunks on the season than Blake Griffin. So um, there you go. Well, I'll tell you another guy quickly that jumped there in that game, Lou Dort. And I know he made a bit of a name for himself uh, last season. If you enjoy watching guys play perimeter defense, and I'm probably in the minority there of people that do, this guy is just a bulldog. Like, And particularly if you see yeah. OKC in a close yeah. game, they're worth checking out just to watch Lou Dort not run around screens, just bulldoze through screens and say, whoever has the ball, like he was literally chasing the Spurs ball handlers back to nearly a half-court backcourt violation. They were trying to get away from him (laughs) as he's trying to get the ball off them late in this game. It was absolutely beautiful to watch. And it was just, it was a show. I mean, their offense, I think, is the worst in the league. Okay, see, but... That, that defense, I just love watching Lou Dort yeah. and just the way he gets after it and the way, as I said, he was just harassing Paul Zajonte Murray and others in that Spurs lineup uh, late sure, in that game. Are you sure it just wasn't one of the cases of, you know, he had a few too many pregame bean burritos and it was just, <laughs> you know, kind of scaring guys away? But, uh, yeah, we call that mother-in-law defense, Daz. It's mother-in-law defense. It's like he's going to be in your grill every minute you're alive well i've literally never seen guys just almost be backing up to to get a backcourt violation just because i'd rather go over and back and then, yes. then try to attack this and be you know stripped and have to do a breakaway fall yeah he's unbelievable yeah. they need to just get robus and him out there It'll be zero offense but jews try and yeah. drive to the rim uh, on those guys i assume robison's still able to play i haven't seen him uh, yeah, somewhere some yeah so uh, I'll you actually I might give you the next uh, Livingston moment as well because I think our next two are going to uh, sort of bounce off each other as well. Um, but what was your second Livingston moment of of the week? Well, I'm going to credit you a full hundred percent credit with the moniker on this one. But again, I get a checking on the Spurs this week. I played a a back to back against the Wolves, as you well know. And I hadn't seen the Wolves yet. I hadn't really focused on Anthony Edwards. Um, I had to focus and see how Carl Anthony Towns, you know, how he was doing with this nagging kind of wrist thing and some of the murmurs coming around about, you know, a Saunders coaching. And I, and I wanted to take a closer look, you know, my boy, I say my boy, right, Daz, because I drafted him in fantasy. So Keldon Johnson's my boy, not mm-hmm. yours. Um, but, you know, we loved his play, didn't we, in the bubble. And I wanted to see what was going on with Lonnie and, 
and how Pop, right, had clearly just looked at the stats. And it's like suddenly Pop is, his three-point attempts are way up, his pace is up. And in the you could just see, just you could glance at the box score, Pop is coaching very differently, or at least philosophically, maybe not tactically, but philosophically giving the young guys lots and lots of run, which is, it's got to be exciting. So there's a whole bunch of reasons I was interested in these games. My, my Levingston moment, though, was in the f- first of the two, which was a very close kind of back-to-back game, not the most tightly played game, but a very competitive, good energy, very close game, like always within a few few possessions. So just one of those really good comp- competitive games. And it was, you know, of course you do, you get into crunch time. And what do you see down on, on the San Antonio end is the extra pass, right? It's DeMar driving and dishing to the corner that gets whipped around the perimeter and ends up in the other corner. And Patty Mills with one second left in the shot clock and not an urgent one second, almost by design, let's take 22 seconds and fuck with this defense and drill a three-pointer. Like, just that old 2014-15 Spurs execution, right? Mm. Just that humming, beautiful play. Then they go back down the other end, and Princess D'Angelo Leia Russell <laughs> throwing up wrong-footed fadeaway 31-footers. And he wasn't even trying to draw a foul. Like, he's like, eh, I'm kind of open, and I'm paid a lot. So, like whoop de doo And so, again, I'm going to focus on the positive here. Surprise, surprise, the Wolves lost that game because, shocker, crunch time execution wasn't there. But, man, just in terms of a chugga-chugga train wreck joy and, and watching the, the hilarity of this bemuffled clown called D'Angelo Russell take these wickedly, like, as if no one's watching, well, no one is watching the Wolves, but as if no one is actually watching the Wolves, as if there's not a single eye on him, like he's Kobe Bryant, you know, on a farewell tour, sort of, um, you know, frivolity. And so, again, I found a kind of a sinister joy in, go- in kind of throwing my head into my palms going, oh, my God, Andrew Wiggins might be a better fit on this team. And then throwing my heads deep into sorrow as I wept myself to sleep to going, they passed on Le- <laughs> they passed on LaMelo Ball to not make Princess Leia sad. Oh, oh. my God. Well, so, the Princess my- Leia thing is interesting because when they were doing the, the, um, the pre-game inter- introductions as they do, and it's all sort of photos now, obviously there's not a, a massive, with no in-career presence, there's not a massive production and things like that. I honestly, Daz, I thought it might have been Star Wars night. I thought they had <laughs> superimposed the Princess Leia locks. And I was like, why would you do yeah. that to your sort of, you know, to the guy that's ostensibly their, their number two player? I think he was introduced first. This night. Then the game starts and I'm looking at it like, no, that's his actual hair. That's he's leaving this shit on. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just Googled it and there's a beautiful photo uh, on on Twitter of Princess I mean, Leia next to D'Angelo Russell. Oh, if you haven't checked it out, you've got well, to Google it is that. Absolutely priceless. He, he kind of had that vibe, like if you, you just quick look and like, yeah, that's definitely a Leia vibe. But and then if you look a little bit closer, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you had that in like high school here or college in Australia, but like wrestling, like some yes. of the kids would put tape around their head, <laughs> like to pull their ears back. You know, just want to get cauliflower ears. No cauliflower ears. Like, D'Angelo's kind of coming in with a grind tonight. Like, I don't know if he was kind of, you know, like strapping one on or, or as you said, wearing a wearing a skirt. And, uh, 
it certainly looked like it had a bit of both going in crunch time. Like he just didn't, didn't give a shit. So that was the absolute Levingston moments for me. Those two were just, were just my priceless moments. Yeah. Well, let's get the most Livingston have, moments. Yeah, what do you week. have? What do you have? Uh, and I'll give quick quick credit to Dan J. Russell. Minnesota did win the the second game of that mini series against the Spurs, and Russell had a much better game in game yeah. two, but he still looked ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> now, the the my Livingston moment, as you know this, and and listeners to this podcast would know this, I love to watch bad teams in close games, right? I I, I live for it, right? <laughs> so I'm watching. I'm sat there Monday morning. I'm watching Celtics Pistons, and the Pistons have built up a bit of a lead, and it gets down the crunch time, a minute to go. And I was like, actually, I, th- I think I started watching for about two and a half minutes to go. But th- this moment yeah. came. So Dwayne Casey calls a timeout. Right, it's a one-point game. Boston leading by one. Now you need to go to your best play at this stage, Daz. You know this, right? What right. do you think Dwayne Casey goes to now? He had a lineup of. Blake Christian Griffin. Wood? Oh, no, wait, sorry. No, no Christian no. Wood's now on the <laughs> Rockets. Right. He had, now he had Blake Griffin, uh, Jeremy Grant. Uh, I think Sadiq Bay was on the court at this stage. Uh, Mason Plumley, and uh, Derek Rose. Right? So conventional, win- conventional wisdom would say, right, um, Blake Griffin, obviously, just give him in a post and let him operate. But we've seen... That oh man, the poor guy looks like a combination of, you know, the Tin Woodsman and the and the Scarecrow with no brain, no heart, no knees. And mm. I feel bad for the guy. I don't want to piss on this guy's grave, but he looks squashed. So I doubt it was Griffin. It was it that well they ran an ISO does. So they ran an ISO. Derek Rose then. Everyone Rose cleared out to the other side of the court, and it was one on one ISO. No, it Rose wasn't Derek Rose. Twenty one footer. Wasn't Derek Rose? Heels, um, does Reggie Jackson still play there? <laughs> No, actually, Ish Smith, is he still there? Ish Smith's in Washington now. What they drew up out of a timeout was a Mason Plumlee ISO against Daniel Thos. You mean, no, you mean a post. No, 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 an ISO. They, (laughs) everyone went over the other side of the court and Mason Plumlee had an ISO against Daniel Tice. And even that the... Can't, that's not real. That's not... You are in... Oh, my God. Famous. You wouldn't even do that in 2K. I mean, you, you'd get dick punched if you did that in 2K, There's, let alone in real life. I was up. I was... If I had that towel there, I was waving that <laughs> towel. And I, you know this. I was straight on the messenger to you. Yeah, you dropped whatever you were. you were doing. You had to go and watch. I said, go to a minute to go. No, I know it didn't. Celtics. You're clearly... You've forgotten what Luke Kennard, oh, he's not there either, but you've forgotten what, you know, Svi, how you look, looks like, Daz. You, you've got it wrong. It can't be. Can't well, be. and the best part was, and but this is another wrong, tip, but this is another tip. When you're watching the bad ga- bad team in a close game, you have to take their callers, right? You have to listen <laughs> yes. to their commentary too. You don't, well, so, you don't listen to Celtics callers, full stop. Well, that's true. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Their commentary team was just dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this now. I was, I was playing along a little bit. Like, then, well, so he, he dribbles it in. He, ta- he takes a shot. He kind of well, at the last you, minute. Sort of, 40 seconds left. This is after timeout. There's a timeout. This is a draw-up One possession game. One-point game, right? Yeah. And... Yeah. 
he kind of at the last second as he dribbled him backed in and then went up for a shot and Thice fouled him. So he ends up at the line. He's a terrible free throw shooter as well. 56% for his career. Yes, yeah. he managed to make both. But as he's going to the free throw line, they finally, without even calling the play, they just said to each other, well, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I reckon, so I, I reckon, right, if you're Dwayne Casey, right, and you've got so many demons from Toronto and so many demons of this this ironclad bond you built with Demar and that fan base and 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 Lowry and could never exercise him with, with LeBron and you know, you basically got guillotined in front of the world and you agree to come over to kind of get the most out of this veteran team right and now you even the veteran team is gone but you're saddled with Blake Griffin and like you know what I'm just literally earning a paycheck dude I mean all credit if if Dwayne Casey wasn't on the bong right at halftime and just kind of like, whoa, dude, like what place should I run up, man? And I, I, I he's, he was channeling Spicoli to go, what kind of fucked up, you know, bizarre world end of gameplay because I can show my grandkids, you know, Ha-ha. I tell you what, sonny boy, I tell you what I did in 2021 in the COVID time. I sent Mason motherfucking Plumley on an ISO facing up. Game on the line against the iconic Boston Celtics. Oh, granddad, you did not. Oh, show did. Check it out. Here's a film. You know, I could just, sorry. That's what I was imagining is Dwayne Casey doing his best Red Fox. You know, uh, he's he's petting his Doberman pincher and, you know, smoking his pipe and, you know, telling stories to the grandkids about all the crazy shit he used to do. And so that that was, that, I don't know how that moment does. That's going to be hard to knock this one off the perch. Well, the best part the was yeah. he makes the both free throws. They go up one. Celtic go down the other end and score. Then they come and call another timeout. And the Pistons commentary team say, well, I wonder what Dwayne Casey will come up with this time. They said it was absolute brilliance, the play that he drew up the last time. The Mason Plumley ISO. He generated two points. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so, oh, so. okay, right. I know you've completely converted me now, like to this, you know, Bulls, you know, Bulls, Raptors, you know, as 108, 110, 108 with two minutes to go. I'm fucking tuning in. I don't care if, you know, uh, Giannis and Luca are dueling it out. I'm I'm tuning in to, to crunch time um, for the two scrub teams. It's, it's absolutely pure joy. And I think you probably, I think we, we stumbled across this by accident in the kind of probably about three years ago, didn't we? Our much maligned. And still to this day, haven't left those demons behind. The Denver Nuggets end of game execution is almost famously pathetic, isn't it? So I think Denver kind of, for me, popularized and kind of gave me joy in just how grown ass men who spend their life doing this can make the most unbearably dumb decisions in, when the pressure is on. So I'm full blown with you, Daz. Like that, that is an absolute king of Livingston moments. Um, oh, I, I love the home team commentary. Guys, just having the what? life sucked out. <laughs> well, it was like, it was like the ultimate, you know, in radio faux pas. They just like the play happened and the whistle blew. Yes. Well, I didn't see that. Like dead silent. Like it was seconds, wasn't it? It was like three seconds, which might as well have been the thirty seconds of silence. Like I imagine. I wonder. I would love to see the looks on their faces <laughs> if they're like. Pfft. If they're like spit taking or if they're again, 
just kind of like going, oh my god, they're checking their checking their balance and their social security account, wondering they can re- when they can retire. But uh, okay, Daz, as well, that was brilliant. I mean, yeah. I think the yeah. play uh, and the and the second Livingston moment I've got is the Andre Drummond ISO, which was just something oh. that Andre came up with on his own. Uh, and I and I actually haven't listened to the Cavs commentary term. The Cavs commentary is one of my favourites when it's when the things are going bad. Um, that they, they are they are hilarious, particularly the when they critique yep. uh, the Cavs defence, which they often uh, they often compare to the Keystone Cops. So that's <laughs> that's <laughs> how good it is over at Cleveland. But uh, the the Andre Drummond ISO, which went around Twitter, became a bit of a viral video, I think, of the week uh, in the NBA days, and that was just I can't even describe what it was like. You have to see it to believe it. It might be, uh, there's an old clip of Vlade Divac taking a three, which was an air ball in the 93 playoffs in a close game between the Lakers and the Suns and the commentary, the commentator of the Lakers uh, says that might be the worst play I've ever seen. <laughs> well, yeah. I have a worse play but for you, you. you. You couldn't, again, this is the beauty of the game, right? This is why this, these are the perfect moments of just fucking unbridled joy. <laughs> Like finding joy in the small moments, right? Which is, I, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have it exactly right, but if you go back and watch this Drummond clip and everyone, all 11 listeners, have to Google Andre Drummond ISO, and it's going to come up, I guarantee it's going to come up, right? Mm. Is the announcers, this is kind of in the middle of the fourth quarter, is like, the announcers kind of like, it's the beginning of the shot clock, like, well, been a bit of a sluggish game. 23, 22, 21, 20. 19, 18, 17. DeAndre uh, Drummond's is standing at the top of the key surveying, right? He's surveying. There's no movement. There's nobody moving. Seven, eight, nine. And they go, as evidenced by this play, which is apparently going in slow motion. And then, so that the hilarity was the 10 seconds before he even did anything. And of course, what he did was did something in the lane, like some bit of a spin, and then got up in the air. And tried to turn around in the air to do a pass like Luca, but it ended up kind of falling out of his hands like a shot. And it looked like he sh- actually shot the ball backwards. <laughs> like, like he shot it towards the other hoop, like, ah, own goal. Like it was the most, it was so epically beautiful. So yes, that Drummond moment. So yeah, mine, minor kind of quaint. I admit Des, you completely won the Levingston moments of the week, like fucking hands down. Like these are going to go in Levingston hall of fame. I can just feel it. So oh, the Plumley play will job. be that. That could be the Hall of Fame when we look back uh, on this I season. I don't know how. I don't know how don't we're going to beat that moment that. Yeah. for me. Uh, that that was absolutely classic. But uh, look, let's let's move on, days from the Livingston moments to the news of the week, and we'll we'll update the the big news. Obviously, has been the James Harden trade. Uh, it, it came about after a, just a diabolical performance by Houston <clears> against the Lakers where Harden uh, essentially just sabotaged the team to be down by 30-odd points uh, during the game and then held a press conference after the game saying the team's not good enough. Uh, so demanding a trade out. They, they sent him away from training and it looked as though he was going to Philly in a, in a deal ostensibly for Ben Simmons and some other things uh, coming back to Houston. But uh, that, that fell through and it ended up being the Nets with Karis LeVert going to Indiana Victor Oladipo going to Houston. The Cavs got involved and picked up Jared Allen and uh, who was he? Oh, and uh, Torian Prince. Torian Prince. 
and they they gave away the Bucks uh, first rounder for that. So the Cavs sort of got involved, and and I think decent to take a take a bit of a look at these guys, even though they got a heap of centers on their roster already. But maybe after that last play, Drummond can play point guard, and uh, you know uh, Jared Allen can go into the center role as. And then, uh, so essentially, Indiana walk away with Karis LeVert. Houston have uh, a number of picks. I think it was three first-round picks plus Victor Oladipo and some pick swaps, which probably won't won't convey. Certainly this year's pick swap won't convey. And as I say, Cleveland got involved with a couple of players that they get a free look at. What was your sort of, a, I guess, immediate reaction? And we want to really... Being the Levinson podcast, we're much more interested in waiting until these guys hit the court uh, to, to offer any real analysis of it. But let, what was your sort of first takeaway, I guess, when you're look at, looking at that? Immediate reaction was, I think, the player empowerment um, era and the transaction era. I think I'm officially done. Like, in terms of, I can never be surprised again, Right. So a guy who finished in top five MVP, MVP voting, MVP voting, pardon me, Harden's finished top five in voting, I think, six times, if I'm not mistaken. And he gets traded in you know, the beginning part of the season. We're like, yeah, okay. So that was my first reaction. I'm like, yeah, of course. That yeah, makes sense. Um, that's because I'm just so numb to the, to the, even to the magnitude of trades like this. I'm like, yeah, okay. So that was my very first reaction. It's kind of like, you know, transaction fatigue. Um, the second one was, you know, just a continuation of, four years of following this clown who who he, he, like you pick a fight in public with Giannis Netacumpo, like literally the most golden boy innocent like like you pick a fight with Giannis and, and take him apart for his lack of skill set and your animosity and resentment towards you know towards him and they go a guy like that We've, I've seen this behavior, right, for years. And you can see this attitude. And so for him to throw his teammates under the bus, take the Anthony Davis playbook, quit, be out of shape, blame your teammates, hold the franchise hostage, it had to end this way. It had to be a trade. There's no there's no way around it. So for me, it was the least surprising kind of thing thing of the day. And again, nothing, very on-brand for him. Um, in terms of the basketball, I guess, um well, I guess probably the most interesting thing, right, when you've got a player like that, the fact that Tillman Fertitta, hashtag cheap owner of the century, um, decided to not take any salary back, create salary cap space, and didn't even want the far superior player, Karis Levert, to um, Victor Oladipo. Levert, who's under control, paid a lot less. He's a lot younger. Nah, didn't want him. So as soon as he received him, shipped him up to Indiana. So I thought, you know, um, I can't give this guy any credit. But clearly what the strategy is in Houston is just hit rock bottom, right? Um, his, hit his rock bottom as he can. There's 0% chance they're going to re-sign Victor Oladipo. So he's either you know, dead man walking here at trade uh, the trade deadline or he'll just go in the offseason for, for nothing, which probably wouldn't phase them. So I thought it was interesting. And I don't have a lot of sympathy for that, for that Houston franchise who've supported Harden. I got deep sympathy for the time when Chris Paul tore, you know, pulled his hamstring when they were on the verge of upsetting a dynasty. but So I do empathize with them a little bit, but that's a massively long rebuild in Houston. Those picks won't, aren't going to be any value for and for at least probably two or three seasons. So um, I think Houston, quickly on the Houston side, I don't, think, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be as bad as people think this year. 
I think this year you might find that they actually stay afloat uh, to some degree. Uh, and maybe I'm overreacting to a win that they had today. But I just think from their point of view, I think they've got John Wall there. He's a... You know, he, he's going to be a pro when he's out there on the court. And he's actually looked okay. I mean, you talk about Levingston moments. I saw John John Wall with a, a drive to the hoop. And I you forget how fast this guy was before all the injuries. He was just a blur. And, and one of the great things about watching the NBA is seeing guys with a fantastic level of athleticism that we can only dream about having ourselves. And that's what John Wall can bring to the table when he's there. I still think Vic Oladipo is a, a decent player. He hasn't been playing all that well this season, but if he can find something, Wood's been playing really well. Uh, Boogie's looking okay. So I, I think there's still some some hope for me, at least, that this year, you know, I think they could be around that sort of conversation to get into the playing tournament. And then, to your point, I think next year is going to be the year where they they really look at uh, having a much longer rebuild and look at bottoming out uh, completely from that point. I hear you, but when you think about the people involved, right, think about a guy like P.J. Tucker, um, who's sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed at the altar of, you know, at the altar of winning, sold that under winning and his role sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed to stand in orbit just a moon around planet Harden, mm-hmm. right on a very very discount um uh contract and yes he's 35 years old but that's a guy who every contender would want on their roster right so both from the human being pj tucker the fact he does make eight or nine million dollars the fact he's deeply sought after the fact he can help them improve their lottery pick if they if they did get rid of him I think PJ is going to go. And similarly with Victor Oladipo, right? My view of Victor Oladipo is I think he wants to play a few games, but I, 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 if I'm Victor, if you're Victor Oladipo, right, Daz, this is not the time to go balls out in this shortened 72-game sprint, right? Because he's a UFA at the end of the season, and there are still plenty of teams, including those who have not gotten in on the Giannis sweepstakes, plenty of teams who are going to have cap space whether it be Dallas and Miami in particular, who could use a guy like Vic. So if you're Vic, right, this is not the time to go ball out, balls out and risk injury. You're not really going to change your value that much, right? Um, you could incrementally increase it, but I think Vic's best interest is to play, play a little bit, be a team guy, smile and nod, and find as many reasons to rest, have a niggle, do whatever it is, and get his body right to go into the under-restricted free agency. Similarly, he's got no future there. So I think Houston perhaps might even before that has to happen is going to ship him off at the deadline. So that was my impression of taking an older player on an expiring contract like Oladipo, who unambiguously is worth less in terms of asset value than Karis LeVert, a couple of years younger, three years left on his deal, including this season. That's what it signaled to me, Daz. They're going to, they got now some pieces they can still sell off for some more picks. And so you're right, probably the roster as he take a Polaroid today, but I think that roster is going to chip away that's and you're going to be left foot. Yeah. So that's my, so you're right though. I think today good on him, right? And just like, a, I guess kind of like, you know, um, Timothy Robbins, um, you know, Andy Dufresne, you know, chipping away at the wall <laughs> for 15 years in a row behind a Rita Hayworth poster and then climbing through a tunnel of feces as long as the state of Montana to get out of a prison that's probably what it feels like in the Houston locker room when you lose James Harden. Like, imagine how much fun it is now that I have to think about that fucking guy. I don't know if you've ever played even at your highest levels of basketball, Daz, but we've all played with the chucker. I had a chucker on my team that I managed 
yonks ago, North Sydney Bears, Division Two in Sydney, 2007 or eight, what it was. He was by far our best athlete, young kid, absolutely uncoachable, right? And it just, every single game of our 16-game season, right? There's games he'd win for us single-handedly. Then there's games where he just, he sucks the soul out of the, out of the sport. He sucks the soul out of the bench. He sucks the soul out of the guys on the on the court. He can take snatch, you know, um, victory and turn it into defeat very quickly. And I go, that's what's been happening in Houston for a long time. And the guys have been around long enough, Gordon, P.J. Tucker, etc. I think the, there will be a, boo, a bump, to your point, a bump and just like a relief to just go play basketball again. Mm. And, I, and I have to listen to Chris Paul who's the voice of reason bicker with James Harden, have him fight it back. And then, Oh my God, listen to Chris, listen to James Harden, Russ Westbrook. Daz. Oh my God. Like just give me John wall. Like a guy who's got every reason to every reason. And almost in direct contrast to Oladipo, every reason to play balls out, hope and pray. And not even hope and pray, just play balls out because guess what? If he gets hurt again, He's still got $150 million coming to him over the next four years. But if he plays balls out, if that's a reputation reestablishment, because his name's Mud, right? Mm-hmm. Worst contract in the league, Albatross. He's heard it. And so there's a big chip on, on John Wall's shoulder, and no doubt Christian Wood, who's worked his ass off. So you're right in that regard. If you just kind of Siamese twin John Wall and Christian Wood, chips on their shoulders the size of right the, the size of the planet themselves. So they're gonna have a a nice kind of energy about them plus that relief but i think they're going to sell off their parts yeah well that's quite possible i mean the other point before we get to the brooklyn side of things let's look at the uh the indiana side of things so what do you make about levert in indiana because indiana being very frisky in the eastern conference to this point and uh, we're going to actually touch on indiana a little bit later on so i don't want to get too much into their actual game the game but just quickly on the overview of, of levert in indiana i mean i i really like the way he fits with that roster at the moment i love it because they clearly weren't they're an ancillary player right so they're not out on the hunt maybe that was known the phone the phones were ready and vicks vicks obviously displeasure there as it goes back to last season both with the injury didn't want to go to the bubble, kind of fucked around in the bubble, looked terrible. Right, his engagement was, has been poor, and it's not been reported, but you can sort of sense that there's a guy who doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to be there anymore. They can tell the team isn't even trying to make any moves to re-sign him long-term. It's just kind of, to Vic's credit, has been a bit unprofessional last year, but he's kept silent this year and played hard. He's played hard. So I think it was opportunistic when, when cheap-ass Fertitta said, yeah, we've gotten – We've gotten Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and these, you know, these three picks and these three swaps kind of going, hey, can we save some more money, right? And can we save some more money, not just now, but saving money going forward, i.e. Vic being UFA, I think was opportunistic and pretty fair trade, pretty fair trade value. So in terms of Indiana, love it, opportunistic. It's a great fit. I think they, actually, they got the better player in the deal. Would you agree? Mm. I do, yeah. yeah. I, I know there's been yeah. a bit of back and forth. I mean, look, at his best, Oladipo has proven to be a better player than Levert. But I think uh, in a vacuum at the moment, when you consider contract, when you consider fit, uh, I'm much more of a Levert believer. And I just think, especially given the fact that they've lost TJ Warren, there's a guy that can 
go straight into those TJ Warren minutes. And I think Warren can maybe go back to coming off the bench or Levert comes off the bench as he was doing in the net. So it, it gives them some real genuine op- options uh, once once they get, he comes back and they've got their full complement available. And the real winner here is, you know, is all the praise that should be heaped on the fantasy basketball owners who predicted, you know, that Levert would be the most valuable asset and likely to be moved to a team where his usage is going to spike. And so I think a lot of credit has to be due to those sorts of guys out there, which I know there are many of you. But um, um, but yeah, love it for Indiana. And I go, you know how anti-Indiana I was last year. I didn't like the pace. I didn't like the fit. I didn't like just the pace of Sabonis plus Brogdon is like watching molasses crawl uphill in the middle of you know winter it just kind of makes my rock in my chair with discomfort like oh my god is it 1994 all over again mm. but to their credit they they played they played well as they play smart and miles turner man I, I, maybe this is the year he's found the next level where he can be the you know the the you know, the rim protector and three-point shooter he's played really really well like the guy you and i saw down in melbourne in um whatever that was August a couple of years ago. Mm. So credit to Indiana. They're playing really well. That's clearly a team with Levert now or two things, both in the immediate term, they can easily, I say easily, they definitely can win a first round playoff series. That is a six seed or a five seed. That is not going to be an easy out, right? That is not going to be an easy out when you, and so that good on them for getting better this year. Anything about that core? It's a group of 26 year olds between um, Turner's a bit younger, right? But between Sabonis, Brogdon, and Levert, all about 26, 27, and then Turner, who's a little bit younger, 24, 25, and I go, that's a really, really nice core for a small market team who hasn't drafted flashy. You know, they haven't had, you know, top of the lottery. They don't tank. Um, they go, they're kind of maybe they're the Portland of the East now, Daz. So lots of credit to Indy. I think it was a really solid move. Almost no downside because I think Levert, we'll see. We'll see if Levert can be the alpha scorer now. That's the chance. Well, that's right. Let's. I'll give you my quick take on the Brooklyn side of things, and then get your thoughts yeah. before we move on to these uh, market matchups. There's a lot. I mean, oh, look. I think obviously the the big sort of question marks going to be: Are these guys all going to buy into playing together? Uh, there's there's the whole argument about there's only one ball and you've got very, three very high-usage guys now coming in together. So even if you're staggering the minutes, someone's going to have to you know, commit to playing off-ball from possession to, to possession. That hasn't been a strength, to put it mildly, of either Kyrie or James Harden over the years. There's all sorts of drama going on with Kyrie at the moment and we've really even come back and, you know, he, he's been struggling with some of the things, I think, going on away from the basketball court that sort of he wonders if they even should be playing. He sort of openly talked about that. But I think just from a, a theoretical point of view, you look at it and think this team now has the highest offensive ceiling in the league. And I think in terms of the worries people have about there only being one ball, they're all high usage. I think if anyone's going to know how to get the best out of these guys and maximise the, the players on this offence, it's going to be Mike D'Antoni, who's, of course, on that coaching staff, and Steve Nash himself, who is the head coach. I mean, they'd be giddy with excitement thinking about the potential of this team on offence. The key's going to be making sure James Harden actually gets into shape, which he clearly wasn't in shape, getting Kyrie back. Hopefully Kyrie's going to be come back and be on board and really be ready to, to play at his absolute best. And if you can get these guys offensively boarding into the system that they want to run, 
do that. I'll tell you what, I don't know. I think the only team I can see that has a prayer of stopping them defensively is maybe your Bucks. Outside of that, I just can't see how anyone's even going to slow this team down uh, on offense, particularly when you throw in when you throw in Joe Harris as well. And they've still got decent it, they've still got decent depth coming off their bench with guys like um, Cabarro, Shamit, Laundry Shamit. So they've still got guys that can play off the bench, as well as uh, the the big three that they now have. So that's where I sort of come in. That I'm not convinced that's going to work. Um, I still think the Lakers are the favourite to win the title, uh, and I still I'm not even necessarily convinced the Nets can get through the East. I've got a feeling that the East is going to be a little bit like last year, where a surprise team might come up, and it might even be someone like Indiana that just comes up and surprises everyone and, and ends up in the NBA Finals. So I've got a feeling it's going to take maybe next year is going to be the year if they come together. But there's not going to be a lot of patience around these players, I don't think. Uh, you know, because Harden's shown if he doesn't win this year, he might start looking around again. And who knows, we might have a couple of trade requests. I think there's zero risk of this on court. I'm not, no worry whatsoever. To your point, yes, we've got D'Antoni and Nash. But I kind of go, that those guys are going to, the easiest job in the world on the offensive end of the court does. And I know there's some of this conversation where who's going to be the Chris Bosch? Who's going to be the Kevin Love? I got it. That's kind of the conversation, but it's not hard, right? Kevin Durant does not need the ball in his hands. Kevin Durant is like a freak gazelle, right? He can play pick and pop, right? Pick and pop in an instant. That mofo, right? He can elevate on an, in a, on a, in a phone booth, right? And bang, get up over you in a pick-and-pop scenario. Kevin Durant can be sneaky slithery coming off screens, right, in a catch-and-shoot. Kevin Durant does not be, need to bring the ball up the court uh, in transition or fast breaks. He can trail. He can he can lead and, and race to the corner. I, I think Kevin Durant at his best now would be with the ball actually more out of his hands, Not I don't say not like in OKC because he had such the – a lot of the pick and dive stuff going with Adams and stuff there. So the lanes are more clogged, but I go now imagine, as you just said, um, the, the terror of Kevin Durant catching an open three pointer, which is what a 45% chance to go in terrorizing. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Oh no, by the way, Kyrie and Joe Harris, Kyrie, who again, if he wants to play basketball can run off screens as good as JJ Reddit can, if motivated. No, by the way, he can attack the rim uh, about 500 times better than JJ Reddick. So he's got JJ Reddick's, change of pace that short space change of direction right he can shoot he can step back and he can attack and you got you can't just leave joe harris open so i think if james harden is willing to be the facilitator and be content with averaging 25 and 15 he could be the ultimate fulcrum at the top of the key right if the guys want to sit or offense is a bit of a grind, or KD is out, or KD is cold, right? Or Kyrie is off, you know, having maskless, you know, seances about flat earthing, whatever he's doing now, he'll run the offense. So for me, this all actually falls on my perspective. It would be that's such the easy formula in my mind. If Harden is comfortable being the fulcrum with the ball in his hands, but guided by Nash and by D'Antoni to get that goddamn ball moving. It will come back. He will have plenty of space. 
he can play 39 minutes a night, 40 minutes a night, and probably not make that much exertion, which he loves to not exert. So I think the X's and O's are an absolute no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer, freakish offensive team. Everything to state the obvious is off the court in the locker room. It's 100% of it. It's a 0-100. It's not a 50-50 for me. Hmm. And I think they would be by far and away the favorites in the East. If Kyrie comes back and wants to play, and you start to see James Harden you know, actually play NBA basketball again and get into game fitness, it's a, by far and away the favorite in the East would be my view. Because, yeah, you, the, the Bucks and the Heat will have infinitely better defenses. But, okay, you could be down 42-14. to 14. You could. You want to play mm-hmm. behind against that team? Like they, they can any given Sunday, right? Forget about the Bucks' big three or the Celtics' big three. Like this, the Nets' third best player could still be the best player on the court any given night, right? You're not saying that about you know Jalen Brown and Drew Holiday. You're just not. You, you're just not. But that's what that's what their possibility is. Kyrie could at any given night be the single best player on the court in an Eastern conference semis or finals matchup. Oh, by the way, he's their third best player. So it's a kind of a, um, and and I guess then from a fan and franchise perspective, the obvious deja vu, which is every single draft pick for the next seven years are controlled by someone else. We know how that worked out last time, but here we are again. So deja vu in that regard. Um, And I think this has certainly way more upside than getting Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen or whatever that was back in the day. But it has similar, if not even worse, downside, doesn't it, Daz? Like, this could be, I mean, dark. Like, it could be Kevin Durant gets hurt. James Harden's not interested. I guess what? I don't know if James Harden and Kyrie Irving are the best friends. We'll find out. Can they co- even coexist, let alone, you know, come together and play a super motivated brand of ball? So mm-hmm. it's that. that's it. For, it's um, it, You have to take that swing if you're, if you're Sean Marks. It is a... I think Drew Holiday bloody set the market in these available players, but there's enough of a bidding war. Um, they can just raise the price well, on your asshole. I, price. I think the results will show whether he should have done this or not. I mean, because I think there's a there's a chance that they will. Two one years of the teams. To win a title. Two years, right? Well, there's a chance they would have won a title without making this trade. So, Des, we'll we'll see how that sort of plays out. They do play the Bucks in the coming week, so we're hoping that everyone's going to be available for that game. And we'll get you the report back on that this week. What are your predictions? I mean, are you going to go out on the limb and predict that they're going to make the finals now? Do you think that they're, they're favourites? Do you still think the Lakers should be favourites to win the entire NBA? Or, or how are you viewing it from that point of view? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm... It's hard to make predictions. I think what I want to see is actually the... You know, just see how the COVID stuff plays out, how the league handles all this stuff. Um, I think it's, it's almost... I know it's a cop-out answer, Daz, but it's like we just we just have to see what happens in May. Mm-hmm. We just have no idea what's going to happen. But it, assume again, all, assume all things equal. I I don't know what Vegas says, but my money would say Brooklyn would have the best chance to win the East, right? If you just have to place just a monetary bet, my money would go on Brooklyn because the upside is so far so far beyond the upside of anyone else in the conference. And L.A. is not – I haven't seen any signals that there's anyone really even in their class yet. L.A.C. hasn't put it together yet for whatever reason. Um, so I think L.A. is in the class of by themselves in the West. Hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, Brooklyn could do that with, you know, 30 games of competence with the three guys together before the playoffs. 
you know, I think that would be, a, it'd be certainly be the class of, of the East um, for sure. So that would be my default would be mm. Brooklyn, LA. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's move on to the Lakers now. We're going to go to our marquee matchups and we'll talk about the, the matchup that I took on this week or that I'm looking back on. And that was the Spurs played the Lakers three times. I'm going to focus on the Spurs first because there's a couple of Livingston moments within that for the Spurs. And the Spurs really across the three games, they went one and two in the three games. And they played pretty much at the same level, the same style, uh, the same standard. All three games. The first game they lost comfortably. The second game, which may be the highest quality game I've seen in the NBA this year, was a really good game. Uh, the Lakers won by five, I think it was, but close game right down to the stretch. And then the third game, the, the Spurs ended up winning very comfortably and won by double digits. So you had the Spurs, in terms of the standard they're playing at the moment, it's a bit weird for a Spurs fan because they're playing at the fastest pace in the league. They're getting 95 possessions a game, uh, I think, which is which is number one in the league. They're still not playing very good team defense. They've got some good individual defenders uh, within the team. But the real positives that I've seen is Keldon Johnson. I'm starting. To, I'm really starting to question what this the ceiling of this kid is, does because this is only his second year in the league. He is just in attack mode the entire time. He leapt up at one stage uh, in this game for an offensive rebound, and it's like he's on a pogo stick. He gets that high, and he grabbed the ball, and him and AD went for the same ball, and he got up as high as Anthony Davis did. They both came down with the ball. Now, AD, just naturally being stronger, ended up coming away with it, but it was just a real eye-opening moment, and he had another very strong game today, 29 points today against the Rockets. His shot's looking good, but really... I mean, today he shot 12 of 16. He only took a couple of threes. He's just in attack mode towards the rim every time he gets the ball. So is Lonnie Walker. Lonnie's not looking quite as sharp as, as Keldon, but Lonnie's shown some really nice uh, moments in the last week. Well, yeah, 20-plus points the last three games, Lonnie Walker. And does John Dane Murray starting to look like a point guard, Daz? Like, and what I look for in a point guard, particularly a young guy, is can you get to the spots, your spots on the floor? Like, can you, do you, if we need a bucket, can you get to your spots and either hit the sh shot that you're going to take there or set someone else up? And I'm seeing much more, and, and credit to DeMar DeRozan, the sort of, he's given up a little bit of the usage that he would normally have and let DeJounte Murray take over. And the, and the shot's looking much better for DeJounte as well. So some really positive signs. Derek White hasn't really played at all yet. He's played one game. Devin Vassell looks okay as a rookie. Certainly looks like he knows where he needs to be and things like that. Uh, Samantic, that's a bit more of a worry. He hasn't taken the court yet, so that's looking like maybe a bust, although he was taking the 17-18 pick, and, the, and they're, they're certainly going to be patient with him. But I've been really encouraged by the young guys at the Spurs, and I'm seeing some some signs of development. Not convinced any of them's going to necessarily be a star yet. Like it's not like we've got Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown there, but I think they're going to be really solid NBA players uh, for years to come. But what have you made of the young guys at the Spurs and what you've seen so far? Yeah, much of the same. What I see is I mentioned in my my Livingston moment. I see not just glimpses, but long periods of strong execution, right? So you can tell they are getting coached and developed in the right way. So you can, you can absolutely feel Popovich's, you know, instilling 
the system and the right way to play rather than trying to cater an offense, say, around something unique to Lonnie or to Keldon Johnson. So I see I see that systemic competence, yeah? Um, I've also seen, and again, you tell me differently, but there's I sense zero friction or zero consternation about minutes or usage or rotations, including the young guys and LaMarcus and, and DeRozan. So you just kind of sense a, which is nice to see again after, you know, Kawhi left a trail of disaster behind him, just to see a team kind of just come together that way and have no no kind of, you know, ill effects. That's a unit. Like, they are playing together, which is, again, really, really positive for the young guys. Then in terms of individual performances, yeah, everything you said about Jundé, um, he's got that really neat kind of two-way ability. He's kind of long. He's kind of rangy. Um, he doesn't have the scoring now, so say a Shea, Gilgis Alexander, but he's got an athleticism about him, right? And he's got that a defensive medal that Shea doesn't have. So I think you've got a future potential leader there. And then again, you know my 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 fervor for, for Keldon, where I don't have the best comp, but I you absolutely see see shades of like shades of Michael Porter Jr., right? This elite, like really great length. And he doesn't have the, the, the elite mechanics of MPJ's jumper. He's got a competent, you know, deep, you know, three point ball. So you kind of see shades of this long rangey four with some athleticism like MPJ which would have to have you drooling and you've all, mm-hmm. I'm already repeating what you said is the, the thing that jumped out at us in the bubble um, was this like, Oh my God, where did this aggression come from? And it constantly in attack mode. And dare I say, he's got a bit of almost even Zion level kind of mentality, which is you get the ball and he's, and he's thinking right and, and making really quick decisions. Dad, that's probably the, the thing to catch on here is he's making quick decisions. He's not standing there studying the way Zion needs to study and then pick a path. He just makes a quick decision, rise up, pass the ball, or go. And I know you know that's exactly how the coach, they got, you know, with a 0.5 seconds. Well, they got a 0.5 second, second rule. Yeah, it's a 0.5 right. second rule. Make yeah. a decision within yeah. 0.5 seconds of getting the ball. Doing it. So you can see the, athlete, the elite athleticism coming together with really good coaching and strong decision-making. And so I think, and, and of course, and not to be overlooked is the, you know, um, uh, easy to overlook, I guess I should say, is that the, um, the, the incomparable Becky Heyman, right, getting her chance is kind of like, I don't know if she's lead assistant, Daz, but I know you, you texted me and said, you know, Pop got ejected or he got COVIDed and Becky's coaching kind of literally made history. It's like she was the coach for, for that game. So, again, and then DeMar DeRozan having nothing but, uh, effusing praise on her afterwards when of course he can't help but say hey a girl coached you today what did you think about that hey did you listen to the girl like this some fucking reporters of course said and demar's demar to much to his professionalism and credit and said of course we did right we listened she's our coach she's been here for years so mm-hmm. you know just to have that just not even have that even issue like take that moronic soporific cavemanic troglodyte question off the table it will be an issue when she does get get the job but um again if i'm we kind of have this weird role reversal daz right or when the bucks are down i'm hanging on by 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 a thread i'm 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 grappling for positivity i'm saying oh what's the one good thing you know john hammond can do or the one good thing jason kidd can do i'm just grappling drowning in you know, an abyss of mediocrity and bad decision-making and terrible organizational alignment, looking for, you know, for joy 
and you should be as a fan and you may get angry or kind of frustrated about games like today, but mate, you got full blown organizational alignment. You got no, you got no fissures in the culture. You got no fissures in your talent development. You got, you got no fissures. That is a unit. That's an aligned strategic, beautiful basketball unit. And, and Oh, by the way, of course you need talent. And I think that that would be very encouraging. Mm. Um, I still think, man, Dante DiVincenzo would have been a great fit there. <laughs> now, no, really, isn't it funny? Like, imagine Dante, that gl- your ultimate, your Manu, right? Mm. Like, I think you could even make him more Dante than Bud's made him Dante. But I kind of go, it's almost ironic only three years on where the ultimate kind of glue guy, right, your 15-5-5 five and five guy who's going to get, you know, I was going to say rug burns. He's going to get, he'll get rug burns for you, Taz. If you need some dirty job done in Brooklyn, you know how to get into some action, Dante. will get you some rug burns. But uh, um, love it. Well, love what I'm seeing. Don't count wins and losses. Count unity. Count development. Count how the vets are handled and treated. Count when Pop gives them a giant hug in a party when he has to trade tomorrow at the deadline, and you see tears and hugs rather than a, you know, a text message. You know that's what's going to happen. He's, he's engendered enormous amounts of trust there, and that cannot go over under understated right in a small market team lacking a true mvp or an all nba talent at the moment so well i'll tell you there you go smoke up up your backside daz i love what i'm seeing well demas sort of being the sexy trade target and and even a free agent there he's played really well uh he he wasn't his best game today but he's had a couple of games out uh sadly had to go and see his his father's been gravely ill so he had to go and spend some time with his father missed a few games from that but uh, he's been outstanding so far this year and really accepted his role to your point earlier and if you said to me one of these guys is going to end up being a multiple time all-star and I don't think necessarily any of them's going to be but Kelton Johnson's probably the guy I'd be penciling at the moment and say he's got the chance to do that because I'm re-evaluating this kid on the fly does he is a, an absolute baller and I'm loving every, every game I'm watching of him are you with me? Kind of got shades of Michael Porter Jr. because of his length, shades of Jalen Brown because he kind of got a, his body's a bit of he's more rugged, isn't he? He's kind of got that sensibility about him. I don't know his personality. What have you heard interviews? You know what the, how the kid thinks or what makes him tick? Like, what's your read on? on the person or the, the, the man. I haven't. There's a video going around actually on Spurs social media where it's the Kelvin story and I've been meaning to watch it. So maybe I'll I'll check in with that and then we'll come back to yeah, that next week. Yeah, that'd be but good to hear. I mean, yeah. Spurs certainly, and I mean, all organisations would say this, but I think the proof's in the pudding with Santana. They always look at um, character first when, they, when they're drafting these guys. So I would imagine he's a good character. And they're just the sort... The final thing I'll say about the players, and I'll look at the coaching a little bit, is this is a team that enjoys playing together, enjoys basketball. Yeah, you can There's see There's a it. real joy, and they're all working on their games in the off-season. Like Lonnie Walker has worked on his game. He's, he's come back a different player than he was last year. Kelvin Johnson's already working his game. You see DeJounte Murray, one of the Seattle guys that's sort of been with Jamal Crawford over the years. He's really worked on his game in the off-season. So... You know, that's what I'm loving to see. Just the, and, and that goes to the culture of the organisation and the fact that you, you, know, you contrast that to what Houston has been prior to today and some of the other teams that I've seen across the league, like Washington, for example, who just do, it looks like work. 
you know they're not enjoying what they're doing um, and there's no alignment there and, and no one's on the same page it's it's really refreshing to see that and on the Becky Hammond thing one of the, the interesting moments of because there's no crowd there, you can sort of hear the calls coming out. And LeBron actually said after the game, he said it was pretty cool. He said to hear Becky Hammond out there calling the plays and just to sort of hear that voice, he said it's cool for our league that we're able to do that. And I think it does sort of break a little bit of a barrier because the Spurs and Pop in particular were just like, this is no big deal to us. She's been around us now for years and it's not a, not a big thing for us. But I think it does break that barrier as for when and hopefully it will be Becky Hammonds as the first female head coach but it's just going to be not as big a deal as probably what it would have been otherwise um, you know if, if you don't have someone in that role first and we don't sort of yeah. just say it is second nature and the final thing I'd say is um, Greg Popovich you know what he talked about today in his in-game interview of course not, no. We're, and I've, and I've, we've long known this, Daz. You should know this as well. The finest Pinots in the world come from Australia and down to the Tasmania region. And Popovich gave a shout-out to Australian wine today in his in his in-game. In a two-point game, they talked about wine in the interview because Grand Hill said, I'm not interested in talking about basketball with you. So there you go. So, what was Grant Hill doing on the sidelines? Is he no Grant Hill was in the box and they don't have a sideline oh, reporter, oh, I think, yeah, at the moment because yeah. of COVID. So he just interviewed him from the box and asked him about uh, what the best wine to pair with his food tonight. And he said, that "You'll find the so finest good. wine in Australia." So um, I thought that that endeared us even more the pop, and I'm sure he would have sampled some when he was out here for the for the team USA. I'll touch on the Lakers, Daz, now from their point of view. And as I said, there was three games. One they won comfortably, one they won close, and another one they lost comfortably. What I've sort of seen, and this is not going to be a surprise to anyone, they, there's a base level of performance you're going to get each game from LeBron and, and AD. Okay, When the other guys in this team, so the players three through eight or nine, turn up the way they did in game one of this, this mini-series, you're just not being this team. Like, Wes Matthews came out in game one, hit six or six from the field. You know, Schroeder was hitting the outside shot. Uh, Kuzma looked really good in that game. KCP played that game, and they're, they're a much better team with KCP there. It's been great to see him sort of turn around his career from being a bit of a punchline a few years ago, and everyone thinking, you know, we're gonna, he's going to get traded out of the Lakers to now being a key piece of this team, albeit in, in the role player section. Uh, and then the second game... The, the, the role players weren't probably quite as good uh, and LeBron and AD just had to take over and said, well, we're not losing today. And, you know, AD had some players in that game. I was watching it with my son and his friend had come over and we sort of watched the games together. And I just looked at them a few times and said, well, how do you even defend that? Like Pirtle was doing, and Pirtle's been pretty good on defense so far this year. He was doing as good a job as you could ever do and, and AD is just too good offensively. And, of course, LeBron's LeBron. Uh, he's going to bring it every single night. And then the third game, it was probably more a baseline performance from LeBron and AD. Uh, LeBron was really good for three quarters. He didn't play as well in the, in the fourth quarter. 
and the Spurs, again, at the same level, not turning the ball over. The Spurs are at historic levels at the moment with assist-to-turnover ratio. So they weren't turning the ball over. They were hitting their threes at a good clip, which they did, again, across all three games. And when the other guys of the of the Lakers don't show up, that's obviously when they're going to lean more on LeBron and AD. And if they're not playing at really good levels, and AD got quite frustrated in game three of this one, uh, ended up knocking over a Gatorade uh, stand on the side because he was upset at his level of play, so it wasn't a, a really great game for him. The one takeaway I did have is that the Spurs ran Marcus Hole off the court, and that's one ah. thing that they might need to have a bit of a worry about. He only played 14 minutes in this one, and if you're going to attack the rim when Marcus Hole's out there, they might miss, because they led the league in block shots last year, their defence might miss JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard a bit more than people might have thought coming into this. Marcus Hull looks washed to me, and that's that's the only worry I have. Because, mm. I mean, Harrell's not known for his defence. He's bringing nice... Uh, he's still bringing some nice energy offensively off the bench, and obviously he jumps around, gets them offensive boards and all that sort of stuff that we expect from Montrez. So he's playing as well as he ever has, but he's not a defensive stopper. Gasol at a different point in his career... It's going to be interesting to see what, what happens with that spot on the roster, I think, going forward. But what have been your takeaways from the Lakers? I mean, you said... And, and the last thing I'll say quickly, I think LeBron's going to win MVP this year. I think he's locked in every game on both ends. I think he wants to win it. I think he sees an opportunity to win it. And I don't think anyone else is really putting their hand up. I know there's a bit of hype around uh, the, the guy in Dallas at the moment, but... And no, I, I don't. I haven't forgotten his name. I just don't like to talk about him. But um, I think LeBron. To me, LeBron looks the best player in the league, which is a stunning statement to make, given his age, thirty six. And if he can keep playing at this level, that that's where I think the Jordan v LeBron argument, which I don't like to have, but I think it's harder and harder to stump for for Jordan when when LeBron keeps playing at this level at his age. When we did see Jordan in, at age thirty eight, and he looked completely washed up at, at Washington. The Lakers, look, they are who we thought they were, right? You know, I wasn't the only person. There were some who were anti, right? There were plenty of critics. Duncan Danny, namely, did not like the L.A.'s offseason. I loved L.A.'s offseason, right? Particularly Schroeder. I love that. Mm. And that's proving out to be the case, right? If you look at um, LeBron's amount of time he's got the ball in his hands, the number of passes he needs to make, um, his assist ratios are all down, Daz. And I go, that's not bad. What that means is LeBron has engineered, with Schroeder in particular, an ability to not have to carry the burden every night and to play make. But at the same time, Lakers keep winning games. They'll clearly lock up the number one seed. And as you as you rightly hinted, Higgins gets showered with praise for continuing to lift, you know, lift the team around him. And you, you don't just see it through the box score, but just the highlight reel this week, Daz, that this... Uh, like it'll go down in the all-time greatest passes ever, like top 50 oh, passes that. ever, where he's just kind of just and it was like possession. he just flicked it, but it was not. Like he, it was the nonchalant right. the way he approached it. It was just oh, like a, a nonchalant flick. early fourth quarter possession. He's on the weak side, so I don't even remember who they're playing. It doesn't matter. He's weak side off ball, just kind of you know doing LeBron thing. He's just kind of generally paying attention on defense, kind of the dunker spot weak side. You know, no real imminent action towards him. Um, shot comes up from the strong side. You know, it was, you know, it comes off from the rim. It kind of, kind of lands, kind of lands where he's at. 
and in an instant, he you're exactly right. He flicked, stroke, catapult. As the ball, as the rebound came into his hand, as soon as he had touched it, whoosh, he like catapulted it 70 feet to KCP for an easy layup. And uh, he, he just, the amount of savantness, like the instinct, the highest order, the Gary Kasparov of chess, right? It's the Michael Phelps winning his ninth gold medal. It's like the possible pinnacle of being in tune with how the game is meant to be played. He even does it when he's looking like he's disinterested, right? So I can't stand the sycophancy. I can't stand that, you know, his some of his attitude and just the way everything has to revolve around him. I, I cannot stand some of that, but you cannot argue with the on-court. You just can't argue with it. It is, it's so self-explanatory. And to your point, you know, because you've baited me, is like, the, the, for me, the comparison is you're using two different criteria, right? If you want to talk the greatest champion of all time, you'd narrow that down to, you know, the, you know, to Jordan and to maybe, you know, Bill Russell, maybe Jabbar. I think Kareem's got to be in there, yeah. Yeah, Jabbar and, and, and uh, Kareem and, and Bill Russell perhaps is your top three of your most fearsome champions, like your greatest champions, the ultimate Hall of Fame you had a wing of just five of the greatest winners. Mm-hmm. But the greatest players, it, it's actually not even close for me, Daz. It's kind of like the Tom Brady versus Aaron Aaron Rodgers. Like Aaron Rodgers is so infinitely more talented than Brady. He just never he just not nearly won nearly as many titles. Right? I mean, it's way harder than the NFL, but that's a different conversation. But that for me is like no one with any logic or reason could argue, you know, that Jordan is anyway a better player. He's just, he's not. No, that's a, it's, and that's a good way of looking at it, close, isn't it? Really. it yeah, I've never really looked player. at it that way myself. I've always been a Jordan guy, but and but I've all, always sort of catered, well, I've, I've always sort of said to, I think the NBA goes in eras, and I've, I've said this before, I'm not going to repeat it here, but there's no question, I would have thought this was either Yance's era or, you know, Luca's era or whoever's era it was going to be by now. I can't believe we're in 2021 and it's still LeBron's league. Like, it's still the era of It was his league 10 years ago. It was his league 15 years ago. That's exactly right. Well, it's been his league really since probably 09, 08, 09. So you're now talking 12 years. It was probably 07 even. I mean, they made the finals in 07 and got got lapped. The Ilgalskis team was pretty good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So 08, 09 was when he saw that the league has been his league, I think, since that point. Um, and that's a 13-year run of dominance yeah. within the league. And yeah. I just think there's so many things he can do that Jordan couldn't do. Like, you look back on those Miami teams, and he led Miami in points, assists, steals, blocks, rebounds. Right? Yeah. Now, yeah. you you go back and look, and that, and that was an historically great team in 2013. Right? That's one of the greatest teams of all time. It's probably what, if you were doing the greatest terms of all time, it'd be top 10, I would think, given that the fact that they won 34 straight, came back and won that game, six, etc. right? He led that team in every statistical category you can think of. Now, Jordan, yeah, as great as he was, yep, could, not, yep. could not do that. There's just things he could yep. not do. So, And I think the way you've cased it there is actually perfect. Like they say, the greatest champions and the guy that, you know, if it was game seven and who do you want on your team, maybe you are picking Jordan first. But if we're just saying who is the better basketball player, 
it's not even it's not a, it's not a particularly yeah. close argument yeah. and i think that's and i'm that's lucky a, we're, we're very lucky right I'm, I'm older than you are so i got to but i hated jordan's but i got to see it every night all the time mm. living in chicago living in wisconsin and i got confidently and i've got a decent enough memory to say there was no defeating him right so in terms of competitor warrior you know this he's the ultimate irresistible force the fiercest competitor i've probably seen you know that's my lifetime i didn't see you know bill russell play but fiercest competitor you know com- coupled with the just put the team on your back right he didn't make people around him better he had gravity but he didn't necessarily make pippin pippin right lebron goddamn fucking james won a title with ad yes a supreme talent and a bunch of fucking flotsam and jetsam that that roster was shit, Naz. Right? You put you put number three through number fifteen on that Lakers team with Jordan. That is a you're having a different conversation. I'm not saying Jordan couldn't. I'm just saying you have to give credit, and he's carried it over this year. The mm. bench is deeper. The playmaking is more versatile. Everyone's more comfortable. They're still playing defense. You know, insufferable, f- subhuman, infantile fuck with Anthony Davis is an amazing talent. He's not a leader. We, he's proven to be a beta, a great follower, great sidekick, the ultimate sidekick perhaps in history. You know, well, until maybe KD can become the next ultimate sidekick in history of Harden's over that team in Brooklyn. But LA looks like they're fully formed. They're only getting better. LeBron's not slowing. Mean, he's slowing down. I can see his elevation daz is down. His dunks are down. His rim attacks are down. It doesn't mean he can't. It's just... He I think he's choosing to slow there. He's he's Perhaps. playing a much more cerebral game now yeah, than he, he was yeah. a few years ago. But he can still raise the level when he wants to. He can, yeah. You know, so so. I'd love to, I'd love to hate him, but I also I know again un, kind of unlike the plotting style of the Celtics. I grew up winning all those titles. Like that wasn't very joyous. It wasn't fun to watch them win. To be honest, it wasn't it wasn't fun to watch the Pistons win titles. And aside from your last one, Daz, it wasn't a lot of fun to watch like the Spurs win a bunch of titles. Mm. It was fucking miserable to watch Kobe and Shaq win titles. Watching LeBron James and Steph Curry win titles, like we're fucking lucky, Daz. Don't you think like this style and the quality of play and this, it just feels just, I don't know, there's just, it's just feels, it feels better. Oh, I love, <laughs> I like watching this Lakers team. I, I've, you know, I, I, know, I, know. I wish I, I would. <clears throat> Yep, take the drama out, and it's just the off-court stuff. So yeah, the, I think even yeah. the off-court stuff is is improved. I mean, even um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? The veteran on the roster that never plays, but uh, used to be, <laughs> yeah, used to be a guy, Phoenix. Right? <laughs> Jared Dudley. Jared Dudley said. He goes, all the passive-aggressive stuff, that's out the window now, and LeBron's just all about business, you know, and all about winning those games. So um, I, th- I think that's that's what I, I really... But I really appreciate the way they go about it, and Vogel's got them playing defence. That's the only thing I'll never forgive him for, taking about five years off from playing on the defensive end. But I think that's part of the thinking was, you know, I'm, we're not going to be good defensive teams on those Cleveland teams in particular, even if I lock in on yeah. that end. So why am I, you know... You never... I mean, you'll never take that title to take that team, though, to beat the 73-win Warriors. It's maybe the most... It's maybe the ultimate achievement I've seen in my lifetime, if I'm really honest about it. Mm. Um, and some of the best basketball I've ever seen. Um, your guys is against Miami, right? Just a couple of years before that. Mm. Some of the best team basketball I've ever seen. 
Um, and then well, Steph Curry's is... before that. I go, we have seen some fucking elite, elite all-time basketball. And again, I, I know my memory's faded, but ISO games just weren't, it just didn't have the aesthetic, right? There's an art, there's a symphony to basketball. And it's and that's probably why I doubly fell in love with Steve Nash and why LeBron and and perhaps this Brooklyn team and your old, you know, your your last incarnation of your Spurs team is there's a beauty and a symphony that goes along with the you know the power of dominating that there's there's something so perfect about that and I go I'm not going to lose any sleep if Giannis doesn't if he can't beat LeBron in the finals I'm not going to lose any sleep over that right I will lose sleep if we lose the fucking Raptors or we lose to Jimmy <laughs> Butler again I'll lose plenty of sleep but uh yeah I wouldn't I won't I won't lose a moment sleep if if LeBron wins another one and oh, I think the expense the yeah. Nets the Clippers and the Mavs are the A three teams that I'm not uh, not real fond of and, and hope they don't win and the Mavs obviously that's a Spurs Mavs thing yeah. that goes way back um, last point I want to make Daz before I let you go because we're sort of getting up to, to around when we need to be thinking about getting dinner organised yeah, and things like this on a Friday poor child yeah. um, so the in-game the in experience Daz with no fans in the building for some way or another Golden State make it feel like there's fans in the building when you're watching their games. So that's another sort of Livingston moment, I guess, to leave on. And particularly when Steph Curry's going on, he's had a couple of big games already this year. It just feels like there's fans in the building. There's an energy about the way Golden State are playing. And, and they're using, obviously, crowd side effects and things like that. Uh, sound effects, I should say, and things like that on... Uh, in the games, but have you caught any of those Warriors games when Steph's been going off, particularly the sixty-two point game against the against the Trailblazers? Portland. Yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, I could, uh, it hasn't stood out to me, Daz. I've I've been actually quite annoyed at the audio. I do most experience. most most yeah. uh, most stadiums. It really it's off-putting, but for some reason, Golden State just seem to have it right. They come in at the Maybe right they got time. It right. Yeah. They've just just yeah. something to watch, and but it's just me. But, no, I no, you're right. To you, to your, uh, you're you're right. I have noticed a difference. It is better. It is more real. And again, when I was watching, I didn't watch the first half, but he was kind of getting up to forty points in the third or whatever it was. I'm like, of course, I tuned in, and I'm like, it, you're right. It's kind of go I go. Wait a second. It's California. They 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 <laughs> surely California wouldn't let people in the building. And sure enough, you know, just the cardboard cutouts. But the again, the audio feed to the TV viewer was different. It was different. It almost makes you wonder if they got artificial intelligence or some super nerds on the big dashboard, you know, kind of like 50 different crowd noises they could be pushing at any one time, like a, you know, like a big keyboard or a big synth keyboard or something. But yeah, it's been okay. It's been okay. But I generally don't, I don't like I don't like the sound they pipe in. Well, San Antonio, um, you'd be happy to know that they haven't even bothered with sound crowd side effects. There's I just reckon, nothing. I reckon. Yeah. It's so, so yeah, on I, point I reckon, for San Antonio. They're I just going. I don't Greg care. Popovich would rather give his vagina bejazzled <laughs> rather than have to deal, deal with that. He's like, yeah, no, thank you. So, sorry, it's vajazzled. Sorry, vajazzled. Oh, we'll end on that. We'll end on another one from the Urban Dictionary that people can go and go the and look at. The two IPA podcasts <laughs> always the best. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, enjoy your week. We'll we'll okay, come buddy. back with plenty more Livingston moments next week.
Yeah, let's watch some Sacramento Kings. No lie, they've been fun. Let's yeah, watch we went to talk about Sacramento. Yeah. We're going to talk about them in a bit, maybe next a bit more Indiana next week. I hope All they right. win a game. Okay, Thanks, pal. Mate. Nice talking to you. Bye. Bye. Took the charge and there was no foul call.